I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. For sure. 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 For sure, 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 Welcome to another episode of For Sure, a two hundred foot podcast. I'm Peter, and this is Sarah. So welcome back. We are back with a new episode after only one week. Uh, the reason for that is because of the schedule. Uh, we are recording this on Sunday. It's going to come out on Monday. And then the following Saturday is going to be the NHL entry draft. Um, or I'm sorry, actually, wait, Friday night, then Saturday. Um, so if we were to record on our normal schedule, then we would have our draft preview extravaganza after the draft, um, which sounds like a terrible idea to me. I, I would don't know. guarantee you we're right. <laughs> actually... <laughs> Now, hold on. Let me think about this for a second. (laughs) I do enjoy being right. Um, (laughs) Actually, that's kind of amazing. Could you imagine if we if we did that, if we tried to, like, pull that off or like, actually, we recorded it on Wednesday, but we had some technical difficulties. Uh, We're going to get this out. And um, for some reason, we actually got, you know, Corey Pronman tried to do this. We actually got all seven rounds of the drafts letter perfect from beginning to end um <laughs> anyway <laughs> anyway we uh we have a um we have a i guess you could say a repeat from last time uh but in a good way we have uh two draft uh two prospect experts uh back to talk to us about all things draft related um we have from future considerations we have the head uh scout for eastern canada mr dylan galloway how you doing today Good, thank you, Peter. How are you? Pretty good, pretty good. It's uh, it's a good day here. Um, we uh, I've been fighting wasps in my hedge, as Sarah knows all about. And <laughs> uh, really, yeah, uh, we can we can commiserate about that later. All right. um, but yeah, so uh, our, just because I, I I have horrible ADHD and I don't want to forget to do this, our other guest um, back again is uh, Will from the website Scouching. Will, what's going on today? Other than wasp. Uh, <laughs> related issues uh, i'm doing okay peter and sarah how are you guys <laughs> doing well yeah <laughs> uh so yeah I, th- I think if we uh if we start off with the wasp stuff i think that um maybe uh we'll lose some listeners right away so we're gonna hold off on the wasp chunk uh and so maybe later on in the episode uh so we have the NHL entry draft coming up. Like I said, if you're listening to this on Monday, you only have to wait a few more days until Friday night. And um, obviously this is a podcast for the entire NHL, but many of our listeners are Red Wings fans. So we will be talking about questions and talk about prospects that will be for the Red Wings specifically, but we will also be talking about other things because there's other teams in the league. Um, So to get us started, 
Dylan, I'll come to you. And then obviously, you know, obviously will, you know, you can answer after if you have more information or, or a different take or something like that. One of the most interesting things about this draft is partially because of COVID, but then also partially because of the general consensus that the top of top end of this draft is not as high as the top end in either previous or future drafts. A lot of, you know, when you look at a lot of lists, you see a lot of differences, even all the way to number one, right? So as somebody who is working to try to, you know, find some method to this madness, how hard has this been for you guys? And, you know, what, what types of things have you done to try to uh, find some meaning in all of this chaos? Yeah, it, this has been one of the hardest lists we've put together, I think, at, at Future Considerations. Um, generally, there's a little bit of consensus, at least in the top five. Um, there's usually some consensus uh, among uh, the way things work at FC is we have uh, separate sections uh, of, of the staff. We all create our, our rankings, then we put them all together. Uh, Derek Neumeyer uh, was the guy that put the 300-person uh, list together. And then the head scouts get together and organize that list a little bit more, uh, move some guys up, move some guys down. Um, and generally the head scouts all have a somewhat of a consensus on the top few players. It took us a very long time this year to put this list together. Um, there was very little consensus, uh, even on, like I said, among the top three, who our number one was going to be. Um, and, and so it's, it's been really tough. It's been, we've been relying a lot on, um, on our video team who does a lot of the crossover stuff. Um, so Josh Bell and Derek Neumeyer, Brandon Holmes, um, those three guys have put in a lot of work this year to try and kind of make sense for us at the top of the list, um, across the different sections of, uh, of prospect land, whether it be Europeans, uh, the Canadian markets and, and the U S so and there's been, it's been really collaborative. Um, it's been, uh, you know, not necessarily argumentative, but, um, there's been debate. Uh, and so it's been really interesting. We've had to put a lot more into the, into, um, yeah, the crossover, the crossover style of, of scouting, uh, this season. So that, that, I think that was the biggest learning thing for me is that, um, this season it's, it was a lot more looking at a lot of different areas of, um, uh, different leagues and stuff like that, uh, to be able to understand, okay, it, it does Owen Powers warts, uh, are they worse than Brant Clark's warts? Because typically you have a player who, um, you know, you say, this is my brand, this is my style of player. And that's the guy that everyone puts at the top. Um, and I think this year, every, every top prospect has a, a very different style. And so every single scout that we have has a different guy at the top. Um, where it's typically a, a, a little bit more, um, I don't want to say cohesive, but uh, they all kind of blend together a little bit more at the top and they're all a, a little bit more like um, some, mostly the same. Uh, I don't know if any of that made sense, but uh, <laughs> I hope, I hope maybe that was as chaotic as this draft year was. That would be fitting, right? I mean, it made sense, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I can follow up on that. I mean, I'm independent, so I'm basically my own outlet. And I I think it, it's a bit of an advantage for me where I don't have to have that discourse and everything. 
Um, what I put out is basically where my head is at. But I do, I think a lot of where this comes from is the fact that, you know, some people say that this draft is just like bad, but I think that what this draft is, is there's a lot of legitimate question marks about a lot of these guys. Like, I think there's a, I think there's a universe where guys like Ken Johnson, Owen Power, Simon Evanson, Brant Clark, uh, and even a Dylan Gunther could hit their ceiling. Like they could figure out the holes in their game that are objectively there and it would like maximize what they could be. And if that happens, then this draft could actually turn out being really good. Like I feel like Ken Johnson, for example, is a guy who, if he hits and like fixes the issues in his game over the next few years, could be one of the most creative and electrifying point producing forwards in the draft this year. Um, You know, like there could be a point per game player there for all I know with how skilled and creative he is. Um, so, but I think again, like to go off of Dylan's point, like I think another thing that's happening is that a lot of people who are kind of our age and like, who have been kind of doing the video scouting and and internet sort of approach to it, the independent sort of thinking about it, they, they're learning more every year. And I think that what people are learning is that there's not just one style of player that is automatically better than another. I think there's, there's a list of players. There's a list of traits with players where it could legitimately put one ahead of the next one. Um, but to other people, it might not. And I think so much of that comes down to how much development you do with these guys and how much comes in after the draft. So for Dylan to say like, oh, we have guys running the gamut and across the board, guys can't agree. I'm sitting there going, yeah, I think so too. Like, I think there's five guys to me that have kind of separated themselves uh, from the rest. But for for me, the top 12 is like, you know, I think there's a bit of a gradient there, but so much is splitting hairs and like, what are you looking for? And and how, how do you think these players can turn out? I think the only way you can go wrong is if you misevaluate the strengths and weaknesses of the players, or you completely disregard the weaknesses that are there with some of them. But I don't know. I mean, it's going to be interesting. I definitely can understand why it's so polarizing and divisive, I guess you could say, but I don't know. I think, I think there is a possibility where it could turn out, especially if the teams at the top, do their homework and put in the work with developing them and bring them along properly that you could end up with some players that when we look back, we go, okay, yeah, like this player was legit is a legitimate NHL player that, that really built up a strong core, but at the same time, things might not go so well. And you might see a few guys like be maybe a bottom pair defenseman, like a Simon Edvinson and maybe never figure out the offensive side or Ken Johnson might struggle to score in the NHL, but there could be factors that, that drive that, that, that you can't really predict at least not right, right now, especially from an outsider's perspective. Yeah. If I, if I can add to that too, I think something that doesn't get talked about enough um, in, in uh, uh, prospect Twitter, I guess is coachability of players and the um, willingness of, the the team that selects them to put them in situations to help them develop to, to reach their ceiling. I think there's some players in this draft, um, maybe like a Brant Clark, for example, who coaches as he moves up the levels might not be comfortable to put him in, in spots that might develop his game a little bit better. And that's some of the things that worry me about some of the players at the top end of this draft is that if a coach um, or a team is too nervous of a player like Will was saying, doesn't evaluate their awards properly and doesn't really understand what they need to do to actually grow and develop these players, then that's where I think this the top end of this draft could get into trouble. But like Will said, I think there there's a lot of value to be had if you do a great job. If you're like Buffalo and you really love this draft and you do a great job in terms of 
uh, evaluating this this particular draft and you put all your eggs in this basket, like they've said, um, you know, this this could be you could um, get more value for the stock that you put into it than other teams, so long as you do your homework, like Will said. Yeah. So what it seems like to me is that, you know, well, I'll always hear, you know, best player available. And with this year's draft, it's like, I don't know. So it'll be more who's, you know, GM's thinking who's the best player available for what I need and for the timeline I'm seeing for the playoffs. So it would be harder for, you know, Steve Eisman to do a cider pick and be like, what? That's crazy. They can really pick anyone and you couldn't really call them crazy at this point. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, for sure. There's the, the like Will was saying, uh, the cutoff is kind of like 10, 12. Maybe there's even some guys in that top, the top 15 on our list that I could see um, moving up or down, you know, 10 spots. Yeah. So, um, yeah, if you take a guy like, I'm just looking at the list now, we have uh, Fabian Lizelle ranked at 11. Um, if you take him at, at three, then like some people might say, Oh, that's, that's crazy. I didn't see that coming. If you take him at 20 something, some people might say, Oh, that's crazy. I didn't see that coming. And either side of those, of those groups will be mind blown at the other side too. Like it'll be, it'll be an interesting day to be sure. Yeah. That's kind of nice though. Not being like, well, I guess I'll just tune out because there won't be any surprises. Now it'll be, even the first pick will be, a surprise and by the time you know you get to six seven eight picks be like well it's still gonna be a surprise like i still don't know oh, something yeah. yeah something i was thinking about is you know trading picks trading up trading down it's like how much of a point is there in doing that with so many question marks you know or if they'll kind of say well we're gonna try and just trade for like next year's picks and the year after picks if that's gonna be you know, the strategy that we, we see instead of saying, well, I want to go from, you know, 36 to 30. It's like, why? <laughs> What's the point? You yeah. don't know who the other GMs are going to take. Yeah, exactly. I, I think an interesting thing that kind of works off of that. And like what Dylan mentioned, like if you're a team that is legitimately interested in this draft, which I think you could be like, you could make the ear argument easily that there is, especially, I would say if you stockpile top two round picks, you could end up with some really intriguing packages of, of legitimate prospects and like really curious projects. And it to go off of your point, Sarah, like NHL GMs might be a little bit more buttered up to have the idea of like, how about we send you, you know, a third round pick and a, and a 2023 first, and we take the 12th overall pick off your hands or something. And I think that in this draft, if you're, you have to identify the teams that might be a little bit softer and a little bit more malleable who might just not care so much and you kind of just go for it. Like, especially for a team like Detroit, that might make sense where you're sitting there going, all right, we've kind of hit the bottom. We're, we're already there. Let's, you know, at, at some point the, the trajectory starts moving positively. And I'm not a hundred percent sure that that's this season for Detroit, but like, in a couple of years, like I could easily see with the guys that they've been drafting and, and the, the youth, the youthful exuberance, you could say that the NHL team might have, they might be a team that starts the upswing relatively soon. So if they wanted to add more because they were really interested in this, in this draft or someone was slipping that, you know, like, let's say they wanted a Jesper Volstead, but didn't want him at six and he's there at 17, you could easily swing a deal to like, just take the guy and, and figure something out. 
And I think there are certain teams that would be much, much more open to that. And it wouldn't shock me at all. But at the same time, I also feel like we could say, yeah, it's going to be shocking to see who goes where. And some guys might go all over the place. But I think there's going to be even more insane stuff than we think there could possibly be. You know, like last year, we saw some crazy decisions. And I feel like this year, we're going to see even crazier ones because last year they had the benefit of at least seeing these guys in person a little bit and getting a bit of a new season under their belt to see them. And that's kind of what put guys like Igor Chinahov so far up in the first round. Um, it's a little bit of a different situation this year, but the fact that you've removed in-person viewings in a lot of situations might really throw things through a loop. Like I've heard multiple teams have had both really positive experiences with video stuff and really negative ones. And through that, like you might see teams make mistakes. You might see teams go, let's just trust the video for once and see what happens. Like, I think this draft is going to be one where we can kind of forgive the, the, I don't want to say just forgive poor decision-making, but I think it's a draft where we can sort of say it's going to be weird and like weird stuff is going to happen. And in five years, I, I mean, I don't think the draft board is going to look anything like what we all think it's going to look like at all. And I think teams could capitalize on just how soft some teams are on this draft class. Yeah. I think it's going to be interesting to see um, like, you know, if, if you want to, if you want to hear some analysis, uh, right now of what's going to happen in the draft. Um, I think I could probably be pretty confident in saying that people are going to say that um, Carolina drafted six first rounders. Um, <laughs> there are six players that should have gone in the first round uh, in their, in their draft class. Now they, they always seem to like, they always seem to have the analysis be that like all their players were drafted lower than they could have been, you know I mean? Like, like they all, they all could have gone a lot earlier and then Carolina comes in and swoops them in and, and gets them or something. But um, uh, we're going to take a quick break. Um, and we come back, we have more uh, with uh, Dylan and Will, including uh, either this coming segment or the last one. We do have a couple of mailbag questions that we're going to get to. Uh, so stay tuned for that. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we are back for more with Dylan and Will. And I'm going to kick us off with another thing, another thought that I've been having. And that is with a team like Detroit that has so many picks, if we're not trading them away. It seems like, you know, we could do a lot of the swinging for the fences, you know, stuff you normally do in the sixth or seventh round being like, well, this guy is six foot five. Sure. Let's draft him and see what happens and kind of have that, you know, the X factor thing. I can't think of a better way to call it or be like, this guy's really fast. I don't know if he can do anything else, but he sure is fast. Bring him aboard. What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> what do you guys think about that? 
Well, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in. I mean, I, my, my approach to drafting is you just do that regardless. Like you just identify guys who are really, really high end at some things that, that you think matter in the NHL and just go for it. I mean, I, I look at Detroit and think that, you know, you've got two picks every round until the fifth round, which is insane. I, I mean, you have two fourth round picks and then, oh yeah, you do have two fifth round picks. So you've got 10 picks before the end of the fifth round. That's nuts. And I mean, I like for, and again, I'm kind of working off my own list and I have some guys ranked in the mid to high second round that I think you could get in the sixth or seventh round. Like, I think that there's a lot of guys that are in weird situations that I think people are kind of sleeping on that if you do your homework and you trust video and trust data, it should, they should be really interesting bets to make. And I think there's a lot of those this year. Um, so I know, I know obviously when you look at NHL draft classes and what your teams have in terms of picks, like, yeah, it's great to have 10 picks before the end of the fifth round. I'm sure some people would be like, well, I'd love to have 10 picks before the end of the third round, like, like say Ottawa did last year, you know, but in this draft specifically, like I think it, by the end of the second round, you could do a good job of, of isolating those guys like you were talking about, where you just have a really good instinct of what their ceiling could be. And, and you have instru- in, individual talents that might be really, really high end, especially towards the end of the second round. Um, but then after that, I mean, yeah, I think if you, again, do your homework, I think there's some big swings you could take on guys that did play and they do have a sample and they played at multiple levels. Some even played pro hockey, perhaps, um, that you could get throughout all of those picks. So, I, I mean, for Detroit's purposes, I think they're in a good spot to do exactly what you're talking about, where you just take those big swings on guys that that you believe in um, rather than just kind of punting all those picks. And I get the feeling that they will because they tend, Detroit tends to kind of do that, especially with their European players from from what I've seen. Yeah, I, I I agree with Will obviously too. Like like I'm I'm one to really enjoy the home home run swings uh, in uh, my fandom of Ottawa. Uh, watching them take a swing on Tyler Clevin um, is not really the swing I'm talking about. Uh, I would have rather them keep the Niemela and Hiravinen uh, uh, selections that Toronto ended up taking. But um, I think another thing that I was thinking about for this draft too is that I really. 2020 was a, was a really good draft in my mind. Um, there's a lot of really good players in that, in that draft. And there's a few players um, that we have ranked in our top 100 from the 2020 draft, so overagers, um, namely uh, Ethan Cardwell, James Hardy. And then I think just outside of the top 100 for us, we have Cam Berg. Um, and I think those three players stick out in my mind as players that you could get for sure in those top five rounds that might – NHL teams might feel a little bit more comfortable with because they have seen them live. Um, and particularly Cam Berg, uh, he, he played in the USHL this year and, uh, and did a, you know, phenomenal, phenomenal job there. Um, and, and Ethan Cardwell played this year too. Uh, so I think those, those two players you've seen, uh, definitely growth in, in Cam Berg's game. He, he lit it up in the USHL. Um, Ethan Cardwell, I mean, he's, he, Still very much the same player, I think, that I saw from him him last year. Uh, but I think that it's, it's, it's interesting to think about players that you've been able to see live kind of have built that maybe emotional connection with in terms of, like, you've probably uh, spoken to people around those players previously if you were interested in them last year and just decided not to take them. Um, you've spoken to coaches about them for two years in a row. They're, they're very, you're much more familiar with them. Um, so I think that 
that could be something that uh, teams use as not not necessarily a crutch, but something uh, maybe an advantage to them this year if they have a lot of picks to take overagers that they've seen uh, more often and and take those swings rather than players who um, like an Artem Grushnikov who did not play this year but I think will be a pick. Um, like I, I really like his defensive game, so he didn't play this year, but you know, you could, you could, uh, take a, take a, maybe like a third round pick on him and, uh, and hope for the best. I hope that his game has evolved. Um, or you could take Ethan Cardwell, Camberg, James Hardy. Um, and, and that, that's a player that you've seen live. Uh, and, and as, uh, as, as I said with Cardwell and Camberg, they played this year. Um, so that's where my mind went in terms of like finding an advantage in a year where you might, you know, be battling against, uh, the panini. Yeah, I know. One of the things that uh, we talked about earlier uh, is the idea that in five years or you know whatever time frame you want to put, uh, that you know how they always do like the redraft of this draft or whatever, that it could look completely different, right? So um, I know you talked about uh, Ken Johnson, right? Was one of the players, but like who's who's like another player or two that you think will go like, let's say like outside the top five in the actual draft, but on a redraft could be like in that top five, obviously like the higher, the better, just in terms of being, you know, an interesting answer, but yeah. (laughs) Oh, where do you want to start? Like, (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I get the feeling, I I think William Eklund drops out of the top five and I would not be surprised if he ends up in Detroit. I, I just think that, he sh- he shouldn't go to Detroit because he should be gone in the top three, in my opinion. But he's I get the feeling that there's shiny object syndrome and teams are looking at guys who played more recently and maybe put up more points down the stretch in crunch time. And maybe they're kind of forgetting about William Eklund a little bit. He's been hurt. He got COVID. His team got COVID. It was a mess. So, But he's a guy that jumps to my mind as a guy that could be outperform their draft slot. And that's not too ridiculous of a bet. Jesper Volstead's another one. If he's a guy you get past 10 and he works out, you, everybody's going to go, how did this guy not go top five? Um, I think that the riskiest of them all there though, that I think, I mean, I have this guy at four, but Fabian LaSalle, I think at the end of the day is going to be, he could be one of those guys also that if he goes like, I, I someone told me that they don't think he's going to go in the first round. And I, and if he goes in the second round, I mean, all right, like, cool, I guess so. Um, but he's a guy where if things go right and he, there is hurdles in his game and hurdles in his, for him personally, where he needs to get over them to become what he could be, but the potential's right there. Like it's a blatantly obvious, like I was talking to an NHL scout a while ago who was like, it's crazy. The on ice, the on ice version of Fabian LaSalle puts him probably top 10 at the very least, but the off ice version is completely the polar opposite of his on ice personality and on ice style of play. And it's scaring people away like there, but I personally, I don't really, I mean, he's 17 years old. Like I get the feeling that he had a really rough year for a number of reasons. He was trying to prove a lot to professional coaches in Sweden. He was trying, I don't know. I think there's a lot of things you can forgive with what might cause maybe some issues that might be perceived as personality based. Um, But he's a guy where I think that if you're patient and you are empathetic with him and and give him some rope and, and work with him and and help him mature a little, then I think that's great. Like, I don't, I don't think any NHL team should be scared of that anymore. And if they are, then they're not really thinking about being a professional athlete in the modern perspective. I don't think, you know, like I saw San Jose take Ryan Merkley in the, in the late first round 
when he, to me, was a top 15 pick. And we look back on that and he hasn't played in the NHL yet, but from everything I've heard, he's really turned a corner both on and off the ice in terms of being a more complete player, a more complete person. And it's like, you know, you look at a 17 year old kid who might have these off ice, you know, hyper competitive, um, maybe rough roughness around the edges and they just go, well, we can't work with that. Therefore we're not going to pick him. So I think there's a lot of them and those guys, Eklund, Wallstead, LaSalle are two, three, four on my list. Um, I think there's a ton of potential with them. Uh, especially if some of the guys in my second group, like Power or Edvinson or Clark, just don't quite hit that ceiling. Like I think that gives a lot of room for the guys I mentioned to to jump up quite a bit. At least if we're talking about like a redraft. Yeah, guys on guys on my list, I could see jumping up. Um, well, Mason McTavish is the one that I that I think will go. Uh, I I could see him going top five. I could see maybe a team. I don't want to say top three, but you know that's that wild card factor of. If he goes top three, I'll be surprised, but also not very surprised. Um, but we have him at 10, and so a jump up to five would, would make sense for me. Um, I think a play, another player who I really love, he's not going to jump up into the top five, uh, but is Matthew Coronado. Um, I, think, I think he'll go um, – we have him listed at 20, but I could see him going 10-11, somewhere in around there. Um, and, and I think if he, if he goes anywhere past 15 – he will he will outperform his draft ranking um, outside of the first round. Um, a guy I really really love. Um, I wrote an article about him uh, on on uh, NHLEntryDraft.com uh, is Ty Voigt. Um, I think he will outperform his uh, his uh, where he's selected. Um, we have him at forty three. He's a small, very skilled forward, and he didn't play this year because he plays for Sarnia Sting of the OHL. So he didn't get any, uh, any playing time this season. Um, so I think he'll probably fall. He probably would have fallen in the draft regardless, simply because of his size. Um, but I think his, his hands and his feet are just incredible. Um, and if he had had a full season in the OHL, I think, I think he, would have, uh, he would have made some eyes pop uh, and, and had a lot more attention on him. But, so that's, that's a guy. He's definitely not going to go in the top five. He's not going to go in the first round. But I think when we go when we go back to this draft and look at it, we'll go, holy crap. You know, Detroit got this guy in the fifth round. How did that happen? That would be nice. I want more of those looking yeah. back and be like, you know, how did Zetterberg go? You know, this is the next Lidstrom. That's that's what I want to see. And another thing I'm selfishly glad about is that this draft is such a like shrug. Because we should have gotten the first pick and we're back at six again. But it'll it's can still feel like the first pick because we're like, there is no, you know, yeah. there's no tanking hashtag that was carried out through the season. I think I think six is a good omen for for Detroit. Like yeah. Cider Cider's looking like just a monster truck. So I, I think, you know, if you get another pick at six here it's going to be a home run regardless. I think. Yeah. No matter who he picks, we'll be like, uh, that guy was ranked 250. We'll be like, no, trust yeah. me. Trust yeah. me. Yeah. And it'll work because that's just how this goes. Yeah. Do, yeah. As long as they do their homework, we'll, we'll yep. see who did their homework in five years looking back. Yep. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Will and I definitely learned our lesson about uh cider. I, I remember our conversations yeah. uh, when that was happening. Yep. Yeah, it's a good thing that nobody wrote an article about how how horrible the pick it was. Uh, it's a good thing. Good thing that that, that doesn't exist anywhere uh, for anybody to uh, to not go and read. Um, 
Yeah. So I think one of the, one of the, the really big questions uh, on a lot of people's minds is goalies, right? Because obviously this is a year that we could have a goalie go very high. Most of the mock drafts that I've seen don't have Wallstead going top five. I think most of them don't even have him going top 10. Um, most of the ones I think I've seen are he's like 11, 11 or 12. I think like Chicago. Um, I forget. I, I know I saw another one where it's a different team. Um, so, I mean, I mean, first of all, obviously there's a, you know, I, I think it would kind of be too, like too much of a simple question to just be like, Oh, what about him? Cause like, you know, a lot of people have talked about him, his potential. Um, obviously it's always uh, a gamble to take goalies very high. Uh, we've seen that work out very well and we've seen it work out very poorly. Um, and if you miss on a top pick that can really be, you know, dangerous for a rebuild, um, you know, cause you know, those are your best chances at getting, you know, high end elite talent. That's going to really help you for, you know, a decade, hopefully. Um, so I guess instead of just asking about him, uh, you know, the other name I keep hearing is Casa, uh, who's typically scheduled, like slated right around 20 ish, give or take, um, so obviously that's somebody from the Detroit angle that he could, you know, Detroit has the 22nd pick, you know, so a lot of people have been talking about him, uh, but like, what are some other goalies that you think uh, could be interesting, could be like the next goalies taken or uh, goalies that, you know, again, a lot of, a lot of successful goalies are taken in the third round. A lot of them are taken second round, you know uh, um, you know, what are some goalies that you think could be taken a little bit after those two and have the potential to be, you know, very good picks down the road. The guy that immediately pops to my mind is uh, Benjamin Gaudreau yeah. uh, of of Sarnia. Um, he uh, again didn't didn't play this season, obviously, because he plays in the OHL. Um, he had some. Well, that's not entirely true. He didn't play an OHL season. Uh, he did play the U18s, um, and uh, he didn't particularly have like a great showing there. I like, he wasn't as big of a stud as um, what I remember from his uh, underage uh, year or not his underage, his uh, pre-draft year in the OHL. Um, but he, he did, he did do very well in, in his 16 year old year in the OHL. And, and uh, one of the things that um, I've, I've been saying about him is he's a, he's a good combination of athletic and positional or cerebral um, I, I really like how he has solid rebound control. Um, but the one thing that I do think about him, and this is, uh, kind of, I think where he got into trouble, uh, with, uh, team Canada is he, he seems to need a lot of shots to feel comfortable and start to feel the puck. Um, and when he doesn't get that opportunity, he can flub, uh, his rebounds. Um, and that, and that's where he runs into trouble. So he can be athletic, uh, but, um, if he's not feeling the puck super well and not getting a lot of shots, which is often or can be a problem when Canada's playing like Latvia or something, um, that's where he can get into, into some issues. But I really like uh, how he plays. Um, he plays that more um, calm and poised style of a, of a Carey Price rather than the Jonathan Quick style or the, the Lundquist. He gets out high in his crease. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that, that's probably the next goalie I'd say after the top two, one you'd get in, uh, the late rounds, uh, Joe Verbetic, uh, of North Bay. Um, I don't know a ton about him. He is six foot six, so I think he will go and, uh, you know, he's got the wingspan, 
uh, he's, he's a solid kid. Uh, so, um, I think, you know, that, that's probably a goalie that's going to take a little bit longer. Um, but, uh, yeah, the height, the height alone will get, will get the NHL teams to, to be ringing his phone on draft day. I think. I can, uh, I can add some more names to that list. I mean, I, I think that what you're kind of talking about a little bit more is like, it seems to me like a lot of those mid to late round picks that work out end up Europeans. Um, I mean, I like Ben Goudreau. I don't know about Joe Verbetic at all. I mean, I watched North Bay play last year. <laughs> they were terrible. So it's kind of hard to read the goaltender in that situation. Absolutely. But uh, I really, really like Kirill Gorasimyuk out in Russia. Um, SKA St. Petersburg has a couple of great goalies that I think are worth taking a look at. And he's one of them. The other is Dmitry Nikolaev. He's 2000 born. So this is his last year of draft eligibility, but he was absolutely outstanding in Russian second division hockey this year for SKA St. Petersburg's team. Um, he, he faced a big workload and saved a ton of shots. Uh, Gerasimyuk faced even bigger workloads. He played for the worst SKA junior team this year. Like they're bad, they're bad. And so he was facing 37 and a half shots a night and allowing two and a half, which, you know, with a 930 save percentage facing almost 40 shots a night, that's pretty good. And he had five bad minutes at the U18 and they pulled him and he didn't play again. And so I get the feeling that NHL teams will go, then he must be terrible. So I would pick him in the seventh round. And the good thing about Russians is that you stick them in Russia and you could wait seven years and you still have their rights. So it's an advantage in a sense for teams, even if you do have a starting goaltender who's like established, it doesn't matter what team you are. To me, drafting a, t- a guy like Gerasimyuk or or Nikolaev, even if, even though he's a little bit older, or even Alexei Kolosov, who was a KHL goaltender this year, who I liked last year, and he has taken a big step this year as well. Those guys, you can just stash them away. And for, you know, for any team, really, it's like, all right, well, when they're kind of KHL full-timers and we have their rights, we'll still have their rights and we can sort of work with them and work on that relationship and bring them over when we need them. Because I feel like a lot of situations in those players are, they don't want to come over unless there's a job there. They don't want to come over unless there's like a, a, a something for them to compete for that they feel legitimately like there's a chance that they get it. So if that does open up sometime, if you've got say a 38 year old Carey Price and he's broken, and you've got a Russian 23-year-old kid who's kind of ripping and ready to go, then that could be a situation where it's like, look, do you want to be the guy that knocks Carey Price out of a job? Like, come over to Montreal and do it. Um, So that's kind of where the goalie argument gets a little bit interesting to me, especially when looking overseas. Because OHL guys, you have a couple of years for them to, to play in the OHL, but then they go straight to pro. And you don't get as much flexibility in that in that scenario. So again, like I agree with Ben Gaudreau as a guy that that I would target in the mid rounds. But I think, like thinking about it from an asset management perspective, you get some good advantages with the the Russians, especially that I think are legitimately talented, where you can sort of play the long game with them. And you know, I think they're legitimately good enough that they're worth a pick. And then in a few years, you can just check in with them and give them that opportunity to make the pro team and skip everything in between at that point because they're probably going to be that good at some point in the future yeah definitely i think uh especially with the high uh variability of um assessment of players you know this could definitely be an interesting year for goalies so um definitely one thing to look out for um especially like you said you know if you are a listener for our podcast who is a detroit fan Got a lot of picks. And, uh, you know, I think that I, if I had to make a prediction, I do think that Detroit will be taking 
some goalies in those first few picks, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't think they'll be taking Jesper Walsh at a six, but who knows? Who knows? I don't know. I don't well, know. If you, you know, goalie who needs to face a lot of shots. That yeah. won't be a problem. I was thinking that. I, I, I think we're. I think okay we both that. were laughing at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So we are going to take uh, our second break, and we come back for our last segment. We are definitely going to get to your mailbag questions. So if you ask the question and you've been waiting to hear it, wait no further. Well, just a little bit longer, and we will make sure we get to those. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back. Uh, like I alluded to before, we are going to get to your mailbag questions. Uh, so the first one is from, I think, um, I'm trying to think, at least three time in a row question asker, uh, Mike Elon. Uh, first of all, thank you very much for listening and thank you for asking questions. It's awesome. Um, it's really nice uh, to not have to think of every question to ask. We have pre-made questions that you provide for us and it, you know, it takes a little pressure off uh, to come up with interesting questions. So he has two questions here. So the first one is which prospects made the biggest improvement during the year? And then uh, now I think this is kind of like set up, you know, set out into uh, different people as opposed to like just one person for all of them, uh, which prospects have the single best shot skating hockey sense competes. And then probably most importantly, the name in this draft. I know there's some really cracker, uh, really cracking names in this one. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll jump in with the biggest improvement. I think the player that's made the biggest improvement over I would say since I started watching him last season is Mason McTavish. I think his game is completely transformed uh, over the last two seasons. I mean, I saw last year a trigger man who kind of overhandled the puck and was looking for shot attempts pretty much constantly. And, you know, not the best player with the puck on his stick. And this year in Switzerland, there was a, there was a bit of that, but what I think he seemed to discover was like this real tenacity to his game. Like over the time he played in Switzerland, he really, I think he found out that in professional hockey in, in, in Switzerland, like you can really get your feet moving and apply pressure to guys and start bonking guys around. And they kind of don't really know what to do with players like that. And I feel like he got a lot of confidence out of that. And he built this sort of two-way game out of that. And I, I get the feeling like Dylan said, like, I think he's going to go top five. I wouldn't be surprised if he went to like third overall in Anaheim, like, Anaheim really values, I think, in the draft, guys like McTavish, who are 200-foot physical guys with some some skill. 
I don't think he's a valuable third overall pick, but I think in this year's draft, I think it's possible with the team drafting. And I think that the improvement also, you could also make the argument like, well, look at how much he's improved. What if he continues to get better and better and better and better and better? You know, like I think there's a bit of a playmaker streak there that he's kind of discovered, especially as this year in Switzerland went on. Um, and he's the guy who, for a while, I've been sort of sitting back and going, like, I first saw him early in the year, and I'm like, I'm not even sure this guy's a top 20 guy. You know, maybe as a sniper, you might end up with something. But then I started watching him in Switzerland, and I thought, okay, this guy's definitely a first-round pick. And then he played more and more and more, and then I'm like, okay, this guy is right up there with, you know, at least the top 15, like at the very least. And you could make the argument that with how much he's improved and everything – that, yeah, he could be a really valuable, even like a second line guy who can play center or wing and play on your power play maybe and and with some room to grow and he's just a rambunctious dude at both ends. Like that's that's a valuable piece to have. And it's it's easy to project him as that thing, which I definitely didn't see. And I'm usually someone that's a little bit tough to to change my opinion this much on a player like over the course of a season. But he's really kind of impressed me over the time that I've been watching over the last two seasons for sure. Yeah, it's very similar for me too. Uh, Mason McTavish is uh, a player I've been watching since his Pembroke Lumberjack. Lumber? Sorry, I'm screwing up the name now. Lumber Kings? Lumber Kings. Was it Lumber Kings? Yes, it is the Pembroke Lumber Kings. So watching him watching him there and seeing what he could do, um, because that's a U18 league and that was his OHL draft year. So he was uh, one of the bigger kids in the OHL draft that year. Uh, he looked like a stud at that time too. And then watching his uh, D minus one year in the OHL, I was a little bit surprised watching him uh, because he was so dominant in that U18 league um, that he, I wouldn't say took a step back by any means, um, but he seemed to struggle to like keep up with the league. His boots were a bit heavy. He wasn't a great skater um, at, at, uh, in his first season in the OHL. And so I was a little bit disappointed uh, to see that, to see that his, you know, his development uh, curve kind of maybe dipped a little bit, but this year he seems to have fixed his skating from his OHL, uh, from his first season, in the OHL. Um, and, uh, and, uh, like Will was talking about, he's a little bit of a jack of all trades when it comes to the offensive style of his game. He's got a wicked shot, even a little bit underrated, maybe I'd say. Um, and, and his intelligence with the puck being able to drive uh, into the zone, uh, get it off of the wall use his physicality and his body to create space for himself and get it to those dangerous areas. Um, and then we'll also alluded to his, uh, his playmaking, which is also maybe a little bit underrated. So um, I, I think he's, he's made giant strides in his development and that's a player. Um, when you see him in that U18 league uh, in this uh, uh, HEO come be that dominant and then continue that development curve in his draft year, even though he had a little bit of a step back, um, in my mind, that's, that's a player who's put the work in and you can say, okay, I'll, I'll maybe take this guy in the top five because I can foresee him doing the work to even further improve his game and take another step. Um, I think the development there is going to be great. Another guy that, that came to my mind, um, that I personally was, I loved him at, uh, before the season, I fell, he fell in my, my rankings early on in the season. And then she shot up our rankings towards the end of the season was Zach Dean. Um, mostly that was probably my own personal bias. I like players who are able to get the puck into the, uh, 
uh, the home plate area themselves, like are able to skate the puck into the home plate area. Um, and I didn't see that initially from Zach Dean. Uh, and, and he still doesn't really play that style, but what he does do is he gets the puck to that area, but through highly intelligent passing, he's, he's a great puck handler. Um, I think he does a great job, um, in terms of his mobility as well. Um, and so he wasn't necessarily, he basically learned how to get the puck to the spot that he wanted it to be, uh, without having, having to get through, um, ginormous dudes to, to do that. So, um, he doesn't necessarily always skate the puck off the wall and get it into the home plate area and get those dangerous chances himself, but he's a really intelligent passer, uh, and playmaker. Um, and that really shone through the, the latter half of the season when I, uh, in my viewings, you know, in comparing him from the start of the season to the end of the season. And, and like I said, maybe that's just my own personal bias. I wasn't seeing those games from him early in the season. Uh, but yeah, he definitely shot up my rankings and, and shout out to Josh Bell for making me see the light on Zach Dean. <laughs> we want to make sure that we get to this last question here uh, from Mr. Brad Hughes. Uh, a couple of years ago, Atu Rati was talked about as the prize in the 2021 draft. Now he's dropped into the 20s. Did he really just become ungood at the hockey? Or were there issues beyond his control that affected his play? If he's there at 23, uh, which I, I guess 22 because of the Arizona pick, right? Uh, should the Wings bet on what very well wait on what very well may be recoverable elite upside and take him? Well, I can step in because I've seen him play like a lot. Um, I, I mean, I think the pendulum has kind of swung too far in the opposite direction with him. Like he's not the guy that everybody had at first overall two years ago. And he's a really good example of why I don't like when people ask me about who would you take first overall in 2023? I'm like, I don't friggin' know. Like two years ago, Atu Ratu was a lock to be the best pick in this draft. And like it, things change. And so, but with black, but with Ratu, I think the correction is way too far in the opposite direction. I have him in the second tier of guys this year. He's at 12 on my list. I like he, he, his scoring is an issue, right? Like he scored a ton of goals in junior, you know, he went down to the junior level this year and I thought turned his game around significantly. Once he got some more ice time down there, I will say he's, he has struggled in the men's level in terms of driving play and scoring points and really looking like that dynamic offensive guy that everyone thought he could be. But I mean, I still think that with the package of traits he's got, that there's a really interesting NHL player there. You know, the, the question specifically was about if Ratu's at 23, do you bet on him? I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I don't see who could possibly elsewhere otherwise be there where I would pass on them unless it was like Jesper Wallstead. And I think there's a possibility that even a Wallstead could be available at 23, but it's unlikely. Um, but with Ratu, you know, like I, 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 I have data on him where it really felt like he wasn't getting a lot of help. He was driving a lot of the offense when he was on the ice, but there just wasn't a whole lot of it, but he was a lot of, he was a large source of it. He was more efficient moving pucks up the ice with control into the offensive zone than both Ronnie Hirvin in last year, Anton Lindell. Um, you know, he maintains control of the puck so well, he's got great hands, you know, he can maneuver around the ice really well. He's he's when he gets really moving, he's a real powerful skater. He's not extremely quick, but he's powerful. And if you can sort of turn that around into the off, the defensive side of the game as well, which I think is entirely possible, and he can sort of regain 
a bit of this playmaking streak that I think he kind of has lost in the men's league. Like he just, it feels like he's playing, like he's terrified of making a mistake, you know, and I've seen him do stuff that blows my mind. Like I've seen him and not in a good way. Like I saw him take a pass in front of the net with a clear shot to the, to the goalie. It was five feet away and he put it over the net. And he did that a couple of times when I, when I was watching him play in the men's level. And for a guy who scored as many goals as he did into junior levels, I'm sitting there going, okay, like, you don't just forget how to hit the net if you're a guy who scores like 40 goals in 40 games at the under 18 level or whatever. Like you just don't forget how to hit the net. So I think I've been telling people, like, I think he's the prospect out of all of them where I think he just needs someone to sit him down and have a cup of coffee and like dig into his brain a little bit, because I think, and I think Scott Wheeler put out an article with him featured heavily in it about how he put a lot of pressure on himself and his coaches were kind of pressuring him to figure it out. And like, you know, he, he was kind of really struggling to, to find his groove. And when he went back to junior, I thought he was unbelievably dominant at that level and did not belong there. And then he came back to the Liga and the first game back, he was one of the best players on the ice that I saw. And it kind of evened out over time, but you see what he's capable of, right? Like his game could be up here. And I feel like I could easily see him be a guy that, that kind of, even if you want to pull him into the AHL immediately and just say, look, leave the Finnish pressure behind, like the pressure of being the next big thing out of Finland behind, let's bring you over to North America, get you playing on smaller ice and like figure something out that might be a better fit for you mentally, you know, and you just kind of build from there. I'm still a big fan of him. I get the feeling he's going to be drafted way too late. I mean, even if, and I've had people say, well, what if he's only a third line guy? And I'm like, well, if, if you can get a third line guy that plays like Atu Ratu at 23rd overall, you draft him. Like guys who are in this range at 20 to 30 this year, I think that some of them won't play in the NHL. Like that always happens every year. And I think people always overvalue how much value a, a, a late first round pick gives you, especially certain types of those late first round picks. So, I think he's a guy where people are kind of really bearish on him and I get why, but I think there's a lot more to the story that it gets kind of missed. So I'm of the belief that there's a legitimate player there. So I want to circle back to the first question and get your answer on who has the best name. There's some really good ones this year. Um, I think red Savage has to, has to be one of them. I like that is just, an epic name. Um, it's, it's, it's right up there for me with Ivan Ivan. Um, <laughs> uh, and I think, I think an underrated one that I just, I just enjoy saying because of the mouthfeel of it is I think is, I, 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 maybe I'm mispronouncing this shade. William. Oh, shy booyum. Shy booyum, which shy is. Even better than, yes. Yeah. yeah so, those are the, yeah, those are two of my favorites. Those are the ones that honestly jump to my head as well. I like that um, Dustin Bufflin has a second cousin eligible this year, and his name is Thor. Uh, so Thor Bufflin is a good one as well. Um, and I think, yeah, I think he's second cousins. Um, who else is in here? I also really like long, awkward Scandinavian names. Like there's a few Norwegians in here. Sole Marius Ryan. I don't know. Just three name people. Kali Spaberg Olsen is still available. Sondervold, Sondervold Engebraten. <laughs> there are always missed, a lot of fun. I almost missed Bobby Orr. Oh yeah. You got to have Bobby Orr. Orr in there. Yeah. Robert Bobby Orr. Yeah. Better, oh better than, better than Bobby Orr, Bobby Orr. There's <laughs> a, uh, there's a student at the high school that I teach at named Zach Morris. Oh, 
That, I remember when I found that out, I was like, that's amazing. So the parents must have named him after Zach Morris because Saved by the Bell would have been around the time when that kid probably I, was born, right? I would imagine so. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's high school. So, you know, he's, yep. uh, that sounds I, right. it was definitely before. I mean, like, I, 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 I guess it could be a coincidence. I mean, certainly, but yeah. <sighs> <laughs> well, um, I think uh, those incredible hockey names uh, is a good place to end on uh, as much as uh, like I was saying before off air that, you know, it would be, you know, I could talk to you guys uh, for, for hours um, and, you know, still be very interested in everything, but uh, people don't listen to podcasts that are that long. Uh, so we're going to stop there. And um, before, uh, before we sign off, uh, I want to make sure that uh give you guys shout outs so that people can follow you on Twitter. And I'm 99% sure that I know them off the top of my head, but as always, I do like to look them up. So I found them just to make sure. So you can follow, um, you can follow me at P Flynn hockey. You can follow Sarah at Helmeroids and you can follow Dylan uh, Galloway at Dylan Galloway with an underscore at the end to make it, make it difficult uh, to make it so that you might, find a different Dylan Galloway, I'm guessing. Um, and you can follow Will at Scouching, right? So uh, uh, you can also follow uh, the podcast at 200 Foot Pod 200 FTPOD. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash for sure pod, F-E-R-S-U-R-E-P-O-D. And if you want to get some for sure merchandise, you can go to our store at tinyurl.com slash for shirts. All right. I said this before, but I want to make sure I say it again. Um, Dylan Galloway, in addition to finding him on Twitter, uh, he is the head scout of Eastern Canada for FC hockey, uh, which is future considerations, right? So if you go to uh, at FC hockey doc, uh, not, I'm sorry, at FC hockey on Twitter. Uh, I mean, that's a good follow in general, but you can find their, uh, their draft guide that came out a little while ago. You can find that. I get it every year. It is definitely worth it. Um, and uh, if you go to Will's Twitter, you can find all the information on him. He has a YouTube channel. He has a Patreon. Uh, you can get all different types of free content and paid content, depending on the level of drafting and prospect analysis that you want. Um, so, like I said, that was uh, you know absolutely awesome uh, conversation with you guys. Uh, so, Dylan and Will, thank you so much for joining us. Have a uh, you know, well, I, don't know, I guess I'll just say that. Thank you for joining us, man. Thank you very much, y'all. It was a good yeah. time. Thank you to the, you both. It's been great. For sure. 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 For sure.